Oh, we just, did we just become best friends? Okay. Sweet. Is this higher than it was before? Is that possible? Or I'm shrinking. <laughs> Dad jokes. All right. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's good for us to just uh, still be here in this place and take this uh, final session together to really dig into, uh, again, just each of the themes for each of these services that have just really helped us to come into a, a good focus that will keep us, um, keep us with a, the proper view uh, that God wants us to have. And uh, this afternoon's theme is on uh, uh, being led to being led to, that we are, we are led to a world that is in need. We are, we are led to people that are in desperate need. And my prayer uh, this afternoon is that God would cause for us to uh, receive His burden for lost people. Which, you know, that's, that's not a small thing that I'm praying. That's not a small thing that I'm asking God for. It's pretty massive when you consider uh, how invested God is in reaching lost people. God so invested that He sent His one and only Son into this world and knew that what His Son had to come and do was lay down His life on behalf of the sins of the entire world. He knew that in sending His Son that He was going to have to turn His back on Him because Jesus upon the cross became a curse and became the sins of the world, took it all upon Himself. And God cannot look on sin and had to turn and look away. He knew He was going to be uh, letting His Son be tortured physically, spiritually, uh, come into this world and, and face temptation and then take on sin and then descend into the depths of, of hell and the grave and take the keys of all authority back from the evil one. God is seriously invested in reaching lost people. And that's not just good news for us because we're found, but it is good news for a world that is in desperate need of rescue. And so I want to ask us, uh, before I preach uh, this afternoon, I'm going to ask that you, would, uh, that you would pray with me. I want you to pray for me. Pray that I will preach this with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray for yourself that God will give you the ears to hear. You know, the most anointed sermon that you're ever going to hear is not, doesn't solely depend on the anointing of the preacher. There is such a thing as an anointing to preach. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. But Jesus, would every time He would preach and teach, He would say to him or to her who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. There's an anointing to preach, but there's also an anointing to hear. And I want to pray this afternoon that God would open our ears to hear the heartbeat of heaven for lost people. How many would be open to that by show of hands? We actually heard a cough. Okay, <laughs> could you put both your hands in the air? Would you do that? Just, just put both your hands in the air as a sign of, of surrender and hunger to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you, if you pray in the Holy Spirit, I just want you to just take the next 60 seconds. I just want you to pray in the Holy Spirit all over this room, out loud and everything. You can do it. It's legal. You can pray in tongues at church. So just go ahead. Just pray out in the Holy Spirit. Would you do that? Everybody all over this room, just begin to lift your voice to the Lord with your hands extended out to heaven. We're just going to call on God in this room. This is going to be a prayer meeting. It's a leader's gathering. It's okay. Don't get in a theological argument with me. Just pray in the Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and pray in the Holy Spirit all over this room. Come on, lift your voice and just pray. Just call on God. What are we doing? We're building up our most holy faith right now. 
Come on, that's like 20 seconds. Press in. Press in now. Just press in. In prayer all over this room. Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would place your hand upon me, that you would anoint me as I preach this word. That, Father, everything that you've promised that would come through anointed preaching, God, that blind eyes would be opened. You'd help us to see what we need to see. That, Lord, prisons, prisoners would be set free from those prisons, God, wherever people are captive in this room, wherever there is wrong thinking that keeps us boxed in and believing that we're stuck. I pray that prisoners would be liberated all over this room in Jesus' name. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that there would be good news for the poor, that, Lord, where there would be any poverty mindset, anything that would cause us to believe small about God, I pray that, Lord, you would elevate our faith and our belief in this room. Father, I pray for your anointing to come upon every listener within the sound of my voice. I ask that, God, you would give us spiritual hearing. Even now, Lord, I prophesy ears popping open to hear what you're saying to the church. I pray that, Lord, you would be the voice within my voice, that, God, people would hear you today as the word is preached. Lord, I ask that you would release the anointing of the evangelist in this room today. I ask you to release the anointing of the evangelist in this room today. I ask you to release the anointing of the evangelist in this room today. And help us to obey. Help us to walk in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're all called to the Great Commission. We are all called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're all called to evangelize in that sense of the word. But there is also such a thing as the anointing of an evangelist. It's like we can all prophesy, but not everybody's a prophet. We can all evangelize, but not everyone is an evangelist in terms of from that five-fold standing. And if, if, you have, if you've ever been with a five-fold evangelist, someone who the Spirit of God is on them, and they just, their heart just burns for lost people. If you've ever been with a five-fold evangelist, it's crazy. People just start talking to them about like deep things. Just, it's like, like people just, you know, you're with an evangelist, you're at the drive-thru window, and someone's just like, hey, how you doing? And the person's like, oh, I don't know, I just wonder what's going to happen when I die. You know? And it's like, well, let me share Jesus with you. Uh, there is such a thing as an anointing of an evangelist. You know, the book of Acts says that, uh, you know, when, when some of the apostles were preaching, that, that people actually began to cry out, brothers, what must we do to be saved? Doesn't that sound easy? You know, the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. The anointing makes it easier to do what God has called us to do. How crazy it would, would it be for us to try to do what God has called us to do without God? We need His anointing. We need His help. We need His strength. We need His strategy. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Speaking of people, 
Speaking of human beings, Jesus said of himself, he said that one of his mission statements was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek means that there is uh, a, an intrinsic value to somebody. You don't search for things that aren't valuable. Have you ever lost your television remote? You're, you might be so wiped out and tired. You're just like, I just need, I don't want to do a thing. You walk past, you know, the full dishwasher. You walk past all kinds of chores. And you're just like, I just need to just relax with some Netflix. I just need to chill out. And then you can't find the remote. And suddenly you are like lifting the couch. And, you know, you're on your knees. You know, and you're like, when was the last time I got on my knees? And no, you're just, you're like, you're so desperately looking for something. Why? Because of its value to you. Jesus came to seek, which means that we have value to him, and to save. And the original Greek word is uh, sozo, which means to save and deliver and heal. He came to save and deliver and heal that which was lost. Everybody say lost. That word lost in the Greek is a word apolemi, which means, now get this, it means destined for destruction. If we were reading this in the original Greek, we would read it this way. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, heal, and deliver that which was destined for destruction. See, the condition of people who are not in a right relationship with Jesus is that they are destined for destruction. It is not possible for me with my persuasive gift, it is not possible for me to somehow convey to you the severity of the condition of humanity outside of Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can grab our hearts and grip us to recognize just how desperate the situation is for people who don't know Jesus. They're destined for destruction. Now that, I'll just be right up front, that is politically incorrect. That is, that is just, that's not open-minded. That's not saying, well, you know, there are other pathways, there are, there are other views, there, you know, everyone's just kind of, everyone's on their own path. It's, it's not uh, a politically correct thing to say that Jesus came to seek and save that which was destined for destruction. While it may not be politically correct, it is correct and it is true. And if we believe it's true, we need to live like we believe it's true. We can't just say amen. We can't just know it and just be like, yes, that is true. I will give in an evangelistic offering. Pass around the buckets one more time for Nunavut. Because I, I want something to happen somewhere with lost people wherever they might be. People destined for destruction surround us. And God wants to give us an anointing and God wants to give us a language so that we can actually reach our world successfully for Jesus Christ. How many believe that God wants us to do that? No, seriously, how many believe God wants us to do that? Like, if we believe it, then we, we need to start asking for the right things. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> and I want us 
to just take a couple of moments in this text and then we're going to pray. And I believe that as we gather and as we pray and as we call on God together, I believe that God today is going to commission some people with a fresh passion for lost people. God is going to commission some evangelists in this room. God is going to stir a passion that will uh, not fade, but will increase. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, with the disciples crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This account in Scripture... We understand the significance of it because we've heard it before. And even if you hadn't heard it before, by the time I get to the end of the story, you realize, oh, Simon gets renamed Peter, and he becomes you know, <clears throat> one of the apostles in uh, establishing the church, the guy who preached on the day of Pentecost. He's one of Jesus' key dudes. Like, like, we get it. This is a huge moment here. And so because we understand that, if we could somehow get in a time machine and time travel back to this moment, when this moment begins to unfold, we crack out our phones and we begin to film. Ooh, let's watch this. This is going to be awesome. But in real time, I'd like to suggest to you, in real time, this looks like a chance encounter. In real time, it's Jesus doing ministry. He's preaching, and people are crowding around him so much that he can't really get enough room to, to, to preach. He's going to spit on everybody in the front row, which is cool if they're, like, blind and they need new eyes because Jesus does that really. <laughs> right? But Jesus wanted a little more room. And the Bible says there was two boats there. And it seems like a chance encounter. He just picks a boat. Eeny, meeny, miny. I'll take that boat. He gets into the boat. He says to the guy who owns it, who happens to be a guy named Simon, hey, can you just push up from the shore a little bit? I just want to get a little, you know, a little more space so that I can project my voice to everybody. It seems very random and, and just kind of, flippantly passing by. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes the most life-altering moments look like the most mundane. It's possible that in this room this afternoon there are some people, your body is here but your head is already somewhere else. 
It's possible that you're sitting in this room physically, but mentally, spiritually, you've already checked out. You, you've got something else to do. You've got stuff to do tomorrow, and oh man, I've got to go home and print off the lessons, and I've got to get ready, and oh man, I'm preaching in the morning. I've got stuff to do. But it's possible that if we don't sit in this moment, we could miss something that looks just like the closing session of a conference, but could it be that God actually wants to step into what just looks normal and actually do something life-changing? I would suggest to you that it is possible. This moment looks like just a rabbi saying, hey, man, can I use your boat? And by saying yes to that, Peter's life was never the same. By saying yes to Jesus, can I use your boat? Can I step into your world? Can I step into your boat, your business? Can I step into your school? Can I step into your workplace? Can I step into your house? Can I use your boat? Would you let me preach the gospel? Would you let my voice, my light shine from your driveway, your car? And I don't mean just because you put a Jesus fish on the trunk. But will you let me step into your world and use your world as my pulpit? Jesus used Peter's boat as a preaching podium. And then as a thank you, he says to Peter, Hey man, thanks for letting me use your boat. You know what you should do? Is you should go on out and uh, let the nets out into the deeper water because... The fish aren't going to come here in the shallow water, Peter. Go out there in the deep where the fish are. And Peter's probably in his mind thinking, <laughs> you're a carpenter, right? I'm a fisherman. I'm the son of a fisherman. Me and my bros are sons of fishermen. And this is all we do. We know fishing stuff. And you are a carpenter teacher. And here's the objection that's in Scripture. Uh, uh, we fished all night. And we didn't get anything. And like fishing at night, there's a little more chance of like, uh, it's like, it's like asking your kids to take their dishes up from downstairs. Can you take your dirty dishes up from downstairs? <gasps> oh, I did that yesterday. Yeah, but you ate off new dishes. Oh, but why do I have to do everything? Yeah, carry that dish upstairs. Life is going to bite you in the bum. Can I use your boat? Yes. Hey, thanks for letting me use your boat. Now, why don't you go out into the deep water and throw your nets in for a catch of fish? Oh, we've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. And then there's like this he caught himself moment. Peter goes, but because 
you say so. We'll do it. But because you say so, we'll do it. Listen, we need to understand that when the anointing begins to operate, there's an invisible yet very tangible realm of possibility that begins to kind of percolate in the air. Jesus is teaching from the boat and, and Peter is listening and he's like, wow, this guy's good and he's using my boat. Maybe I'll get him to sign my boat when he's done. And then when Jesus says, why don't you go throw your Nets out into the deeper water. Peter's thinking naturally, oh, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. But he catches himself, wait a second. But because you say so. Maybe, maybe there's more going on here. I'd like to suggest there's a whole lot more going on here than meets the eye. By the end of this story, Jesus is calling Peter away from his fishing business. But first, but first, Peter, before I call you away from your vocation, before I call you away from what you were born and raised in, before I call you away from working for your dad and one day maybe taking over and calling it Peter and Sons, before you, you know, you, you step away from fishing, let me make all of your fishing dreams come true. Let me blow it up with the greatest success that you could ever get. I would like to propose to you that when Peter went out and dropped the nets and he started to catch fish, I'd like to propose to you that that would have been something Peter would have dreamed about as a fisherman. Man, I would love to one day go out with my bros, drop the nets down. I don't know why Peter sounds like he's from California, by the way. Until I drop the nets down into the lake. And I'd love to like catch so many fish that my boat starts to sink. And then I have to like get another friend with his boat. That would be gnarly. I'd like to propose to you that that's the kind of thing that a fisherman would dream about. To catch every fish in the lake and your boat starts sinking so that everyone's like, oh my gosh, is that Peter? He's the best fisherman I've ever seen in my life. And you come in, slow motion, music's playing. You're like, thank you, everyone. Thank you, yes, yes. You might as well give up on fishing. I just caught all of the fish, so sucks to be you. This miraculous catch of fish is a prophetic foreshadowing of the realm of possibility that Jesus was calling Peter into. Jesus took a vocation and a passion and he attached eternal value to the imagery of it. He says, go out, throw your nets on the other side. Peter objects, oh Lord, we've worked all night, but we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll do it. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And the boat starts sinking. Can you imagine? Peter has been up all night. You ever pulled an all-nighter? Anybody here ever pulled an all-nighter? I almost pulled an all-nighter last night. I don't know if I told you about that. If you ever pulled an all-nighter? Like, back, I mean, like, in college, all-nighters were cool. And then when you have babies... The coolest thing you can think of is like, let's get a babysitter and sleep. 
But back in the day, you know, the coolest thing was like staying up. Then you have children and you're like, I just want sleep. Peter and his friends have just been asked to work hard. Sometimes we've got to do more than we've ever done to get more than we've ever got. Hard work without a touch of grace is just hard. But hard work with a touch of grace is glory and is joy. We find miracles, listen, when we're willing to obey even when it seems overwhelming. Peter had fished all night with his friends. And now Jesus says, thanks for letting me use your boat. Could you go throw the nets out into the water and, and uh, try fishing for a change? I tried fishing. We fished all night. But because you say so, I don't get it. But something is, I think I have a goosebump. I feel like I can, the hairs on the, you're a good teacher. I don't know. I'm tired, but I think you're really anointed. And I hope it's not the sleep deprivation. Something's stirring in me and. I'm going to do it because you say so. And what happens? He catches so much fish, the boat begins to sink. They get another friend to come over their boat, and that boat begins to sink. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims back to the shore, and he gets on, on his knees in front of Jesus, and he says, Lord, you need to go away from me. I, I am an unclean man. I, I don't deserve this. What is that? Is that false humility? Is what, Like, what is that? Why did Peter do that? You know, I get nervous of the, of the leader who's, you know, been to Bible college for a minute. And they're like, man, give me a chance. I'll show everyone how youth ministry is done. Let me have the mic. Watch the revival begin. You know, the armchair quarterbacks for life. You know, just, I, I, could, I talked to a guy once who was, you know, pastoring at the time. He went on vacation to a church in Phoenix, Arizona that had like 10,000 people in it. Legendary church led by a man of God by the name of Tommy Barnett. His son, Matthew Barnett, planted the Dream Center. Just a legend. This guy goes down there and comes back and he tells me of a conversation with him and his wife. He's like, you know, we were standing there and I was just like, man... If we had all this, we could blow this. It would be like 10 times the size. And I was like, wow, I'm so impressed with you right now. I, wow, I have so much to learn from you. The presumption. <laughs> if I had a budget, I, I could do anything. <laughs> Peter recognizes that what he's a part of, see, as a fisherman, he knew this was not a natural catch of fish. This was supernatural. This, this was a divine intervention. This was like crazy. I don't know if he, you know, felt the anointing, felt the presence of God. You know what I mean? When you just, you feel God on you. I don't know if he felt like that. He probably did. He's pulling in the fish and he's like supernatural strength. Just, you know, just feeling the trembling under the power of God and realizing, oh, I have no idea why he let me catch all these fish. But I don't feel worthy of it. I'll tell you something. I, I'm comforted by a leader who recognizes his inadequacies. By someone who realizes, I don't, I don't think I deserve this. 
Lord, you need to depart from me because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that great of a guy. And Jesus puts his hand on Peter and he speaks to him and he takes the vocation of fishing. He takes the picture of fishing. He uses it as a word picture and a metaphor for what Peter would now be called into to devote his life. And he says, Peter, don't be afraid. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Now, if you divorce that statement from the setting, it still sounds cool. It's like, yeah, I'll make you fishers of men. When I was a kid, we used to sing a Sunday school song. Anyone remember the Sunday school song? I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I didn't say it was a good song, but we sang it. Okay? I feel like some of the songs we sang in Sunday school is just like an old lady at a piano like three minutes before Sunday school. Was about, I need to make up a song. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. What should I do for the chorus? If you follow me, if you follow me, verse 2, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Key change, I will make you, right? And if it goes to the left, right? So the, 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 the concept is cool by itself. I'll make you fishers of men. And we're like, that's so cool. Yeah, God, make me a fisher of men. And then we like, we take it like recreational fishing. Like, yeah, I need some bait on a hook. I'm just going to throw it out there and I'm just going to like, oh, I need to get different bait for this kind of person, that kind of person. It's like, they were not sport fishing. They had nets. They were trying to eat and make a living. Still, it's a cool image. Still, it's a cool image. But I want to suggest to you that we cannot divorce it from the context. The context is the prophetic foreshadowing that Jesus was saying, this is what it will look like. Peter, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of people. If you, if you follow me, I'm going to, from now on, you're going to fish for people. From now on, I'm going to fish for people. Um, like I've been fishing for fish for my whole life. And I have never sunk two boats with the catch. Right. So, option number one is, you can have the greatest fishing story that you could tell your friends for the rest of your life. Which, people who fish love fishing stories. Right? By the time he's done, it would be like four boats. And 20 friends. And there was a whale in there as well. And I stabbed the whale in the eye and I carried it to the shore with one eye. You could have a cool story, and this could be one of the miracles. The Gospels could read like this. One day, Jesus used the guy's boat, and to say thanks, he let him catch all the fish in the lake, and that guy's name was, who cares? And it's just some story that comes and goes. The encounter was an invitation it could have just been a moment that Peter could have been like, well, thank you for that, Jesus, but I don't know what you mean, fishing for people. And if you want me to throw nets on my neighbors, I think that is at least three felonies that I can think of off the top of my head. 
So perhaps, perhaps no. But thanks for making me a super successful businessman. And if Peter chose option A, if he chose door number one, then he is a blip on the radar screen of history. But in the moment that he recognized more was happening than he could understand, and don't get me wrong, he didn't understand it, but his heart craved it. And when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people, Peter looked at the miraculous catch that he knew, I'm not that good. I've done this for my whole life. That's impossible. And if you're saying, if I follow you, I could catch people, I don't know what that means, but I know that I've got to. And he left his fishing business behind, and it was like super successful now. Like you could take the summer off, Pete. You caught everything. He left it behind to follow Jesus, and the picture that Jesus was giving him was, if you will follow me, I will make you more than you are on your own. I will increase your capacity to do what you otherwise could not do on your own. That's the anointing. I'm giving you an encounter with my power and glory so that you can cash fish, which who gives a care? But because you care as a fisherman, I'm touching it to try to speak to your heart and say, you could catch my heart for what I really care about. You can have a lot of fish, or you could change the world and reach lost people and reach them in a way that is beyond your ability in and of yourself. If we will be willing to go after them, to go where the fish are using this prophetic story as our template. If we will be willing to go where they are, God will send them to us. God will send lost people to us if we would be willing to go to them. He looks for ones that are willing to inconvenience themselves to go after what Jesus says is possible. I would like to suggest to you that but because you say so is some of the best theology that you could ever get into your heart. But because you say so, Lord. The had to type of drivenness, not drivenness of the flesh, but I, I must step into this moment because I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit. I've been fishing all night, but because you say so. Lord, I've, I've been youth pastoring for a couple years now, but because you say so. God, we've never done it that way before, but because you say so. Lord, that's going to be a lot more work, but because you say so. See, when there's a touch of grace on the labor, I'm telling you, if you were fishing all night and you didn't catch anything, and then you go out and you're really tired and you start catching the lake, you're not tired anymore. That's an adrenaline rush. There's a thrill. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, the harvest 
is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's another word picture now. He's, he's giving us a picture of a field filled with grain. And a field filled with grain is great news if you're hungry and, and you're a farmer and, and your crop made it and now you, you can make bread. Well, not quite, genius. You still have to actually go get it. You don't just stand there at the field and claim it. Praise God for all this grain and I claim loaves of bread. And I claim oatmeal cookies. I can just see them there. Hooray. Jesus looks at the same field. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he has a prayer request. Jesus has a prayer request. Ears up. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, I... I, I, I sometimes am perplexed at some of the dumb prayers that we pray. Like, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is an interpreter. But I think we'd, we'd have greater effect in our prayer lives if we prayed for things that God was set to answer. Like, like He gave us an open book test. When we pray for things that are just dumb that God's not going to answer Maybe we're wasting time. Maybe we should actually pray in line with his will. Oh, God, send us a harvest. Cool. God's in heaven going, um, no, what I said was, <clears throat> is this thing on? What I said was, the harvest is plentiful. I need workers. Oh, God, just send the harvest into our ministries. Oh, and then, you know, if you rock back and forth, it's even, oh, Lord, do it. Give us the harvest. And God's in heaven like. Luke chapter 10 verse 2. <laughs> Microphone test. Oh God, send us the harvest. He's like. Ugh. No, I want to send you to the harvest. Actually, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask me to send workers into the harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest. To send workers into the harvest field. Okay, so let's pray that prayer. Oh God, there's a harvest all around us. The harvest is plentiful. People are destined for destruction without you. God, I pray that you would send people, send somebody into my city, God, that would care and that would reach them with your love. God, send somebody with creative innovation and, a, and an anointing to just share your truth with them. Oh, do it, God. And what you start finding out as you pray like that is Jehovah Sneaky <laughs> is working in your heart. And the more you pray, the more you're like, oh, God, I think it might be me. <laughs> I see what you did there. You weren't just bowing some random boat. <laughs> you weren't just preaching out of my boat now, were you? You didn't just want me to catch a lot of fish. I see what you did there. You wanted to mess up my whole life plan. I'm not going to be a fisherman anymore, am I? I'm not following my daddy's footsteps anymore, am I? 
I'm, I'm, not just, I'm not just some guy at a job, am I? I'm not just trying to be the coolest person in the room, am I? Oh, I see what you did there. You're showing me that my life was made for more and it isn't even about me. Oh, I see what you did. If, if I'll ask you as the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field, I see what you're doing. You're, you're getting my heart to become ignited for the harvest where I start realizing, oh, maybe like Isaiah, I might just wind up at the end of my prayer saying, here I am. Send me. Have you ever thought that maybe you could be the answer to Jesus' prayer request? What a privilege that is. In Isaiah chapter 54, every year as lead pastor at Lake Mount Worship Center, I'll prayerfully look into the year ahead and just ask the Lord, God, is there something that you want to say over us for this year? Over 2016, we made a declaration that, that this was going to be the year of the new song. In March, we released a worship CD. We recorded a worship CD, and it was all songs that you all know. And just three weeks ago, we released another worship CD of all songs you've never heard. It's all songs that we wrote at our house. It was a year of new song. We just begin to write and sing and record and step into because we've had prophetic words for years that we were going to be a, a, a house that there would be songs of worship coming out of. And you know what you can do with that? You can just be like, oh, God, let songs come out of this house. Oh, Lord, do it. And he's like, write one. Write a, write a song. Let it come out of the house. Put it in a format that it can get out of the house. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing there. Smart prayers. Got it. <laughs> and this word has scripture to it because I find there's a lot of great sermon material in the Bible. Listen to this from Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. You who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Okay, what's being said? It's, this is what's being said. That a barren woman, a woman who could not have children, needs to start singing and celebrating about all the kids that are going to be coming because she's going to have more than all of her friends. And it's like, okay, so... So when I have quadruplets, I don't even know if that's a real measurement of children, but when I have quazillionets, then I'm going to sing a song about babies and joy. 
And God's like, no. I said, sing, barren woman. I don't want to sing. Sing, because you're going to have more kids. But it would be easier to sing if I had the kids. Yeah, that would be called living by sight. I've called you to live by faith. Sing like you have the kids. Okay? Celebrate. Okay? Not only that, but enlarge your tent. Knock a few walls down and put an expansion on your house. Build a huge nursery. When I have quizillionets? No. Before you have the kids, make room. Sing your breakthrough into existence. And prepare for the growth that is coming before the growth comes. Have the second boat ready for the catch of fish that's about to come. Prepare for not a growing crowd. Prepare for a growing family. Every pastor in this room, every leader in this room, every burning one in this room, prepare for a growing family. It's great that that we can get crowds of people in the room, but the goal is not crowds. The, gro- the goal is discipleship. And it's, it's not about just trying to have a growing crowd. It's a growing family. If we lose family value, we'll just grow big monstrosities that we can brag to each other about that are ineffective. But if we'll grow a family where we actually realize I'm stretching out to the right and to the left and expanding space so that people that I love is listen, as a dad, as a dad, when I first had our when our first daughter came along, I mean, this is the cool I, we used to take our kids and we would take them to see my grandma. And my my grandma, my dad's mom, uh, she she they, their house was like a time machine. Anyone else, grandparents' house, like a time machine? Like you walk into that and exactly the, it's exactly the same as when you were five years old. You know what I'm saying? Like you walk into the house and it's like, wow, I just feel like I went way back in time. You know? And so we go back there to visit my, my grandma and to, to introduce her to our, our little baby, Abigail. This is Abigail. And this is what my grandma would say on repeat. Uh, they bring a lot of love. They bring a lot of love. They bring a lot of love. And then she'd make a grilled salmon sandwich. I don't know why. And she'd say, they bring a lot of love. And same thing when Joey was born. Same thing when Sarah was born. We'd, we'd swing by the house. And she's like, you know, then, you know, Abby and Joey are a little bigger and touching things. Like, don't let them touch the knickknacks. And like, everything's been the same since I was their size. What are you afraid of? Let's mix it up a bit. Let's break some Royal Daltons just, just to get crazy in here. <laughs> and then she'd go make a grilled salmon sandwich. And she would say... They bring a lot of love. They bring a lot of love. They bring a lot of love. Do you know what, though? I 
didn't realize actually how wise that statement was. Because when you have your first kid, all of a sudden your heart just explodes. You have this kid and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this person so much. And all they do is eat and poop. (laughs) They do nothing. They keep me up at night. But I love her. And then you have another kid, and you don't take the love that you have for your child and go, well, I'm going to have to share it now. I have to, Daddy has to share his heart with someone else. So now I have a new kid. (laughs) No, you know what happens? They bring a lot of love. (laughs) You have another kid, and your heart explodes again. You're like, man, I love this kid. As much as I love this kid. And then you have another one. And say, I love this kid as much as I love that kid and that kid. I don't even know how it's possible. You know how it's possible? They bring a lot of love. <laughs> Salmon sandwiches on the house. <laughs> Here's what happens. If we actually will value lost people so much that we would go and seek them to reach them and go into a harvest field and bring them in. It's not for a head count so we could say, our youth ministry this time last year, it was like 15 kids, but I brought five of my friends and now there's 20. So we're like exploding in a revival and we need to get it on Instagram so that Charisma Magazine calls us and says, how'd you do it? Want to do an interview at the front of next year's initiate? Yeah, I'll tell you how we did it. I'm super anointed. That's what. We're not trying to get a head count. We're not trying to grow a crowd. They bring a lot of love. When you can actually get a value for them and seek them out so that they could be saved and bring them into the family, they're not just some face. You start to love and care about their story. And what Jesus was showing Peter, the band can come, what Jesus was showing Peter that day when he told him to go out and throw the nets down, and then they had to send another boat out to throw its nets down and catch, he was showing them, if you'll go where I tell you to go, I will send you so much harvest. You just have to be willing to go because I said so. You just have to be willing to go where the people are. Last year, some of the guys from our church went. We, we lived just like 25 minutes from the border, and they, they went over to uh, see a band in Buffalo play. Lettuce, anybody ever heard Lettuce? Well, now you know. Anyways, <laughs> they're a really good funk band, and uh, so Paul, the guys went, and I forget why I couldn't go, but I couldn't, and I wasn't there. I missed it. And there was some opening act at the beginning, and so they were, weren't so good. And so the guys were like, let's go get some chicken wings because we're in Buffalo, right? And so they're walking down the street, and there's this couple walking beside them. So there's about five or six of our guys, and they just start chatting with this couple. And just chatting, and it's like, you know, kind of easy going. So then the guy says to my buddy Tom, he says, where, where are you guys from? Oh, we're from Canada. He goes, oh, we're from Canada too. Whereabouts? Uh, we live uh, in, in Niagara. I live in Niagara, too. Whereabouts? I live in 
Grimsby. I live in Grimsby. No way. Tom's like, I live on, let's say Main Street. I live on Main Street. This guy's like, I live on Main Street. Did we just become best friends? Right? Like, <laughs> they're like four doors apart. For real. They meet in Buffalo, waiting for a concert to start. They start talking about, so how do you guys all know each other? Oh, we all go to the same church. What church? Lake Mount. Oh, that one on the highway? Yeah. Starts getting curious about the things of God. Before you know it, they're having like deep God talks at a lettuce concert. And it wasn't like a concert of like lettuce. A band with the name Lettuce. I'm older than you, but I'm not that old. Hey, let's watch Lettuce. Hey, it's amazing. Can you believe that, Ethel? Wow, that's some talented vegetables. Mike and Krista came to church that Sunday. They got radically saved. They're a part of our church family. They're some of our friends. They bring friends with them all the time. And usually the people that they bring are kind of sitting there like, what's happening in here? What's going on? Two weeks ago they brought friends, and I'm sharing a testimony of someone who got healed. I'm sharing this testimony of someone in the church who had a, had a surgery and there was a, a tumor in her brain and, and uh, they thought they'd found more but when they did more tests and all this stuff they found out it was, wasn't cancer and that it was shrinking and it was this total God miracle. I'm sharing that testimony and this girl, I'd never seen her at church before, she's just sitting there like, amen, that's so true. <laughs> you, know? you know, why do girls do this when they cry? <laughs> like, that's gonna make you cry more, just a pro tip, like air in the eyes, not good. This isn't helping. <laughs> I found out. <laughs> Not everything I say is pre-planned. I found out before, I found out that the week before they came, we had a Sunday night service. And Mike is standing there with the husband. And this, this dude's wife is with, with Becky and, and Krista and some of the girls. She's sharing about how she had to go in the, to the doctor on Friday and she had these, a swollen neck and they were concerned about cancer. They were concerned about all this growth in her. And so they're praying for her. And Mike, I love Mike. He's a cop. He's been saved for like a year. And he's standing there with his friend. And he's like, I know this looks weird, dude, but it works. You watch. <laughs> and that week, in between praying for her and that Sunday morning, she had gotten all her results back from her tests. And she was cancer-free. There was no illness in her. And so when I'm sharing this testimony about someone else, she's like, oh, it's true. It does. It works. It's real. And there's like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Tell me later. The fact is this. It's not a growing crowd. It's a growing family. That These people that are coming in, they're not just people, but 
they bring a lot of, I love them. I love them. I love Mike and Chris. I love their girls. I love the story of how just going where lost people are and just being willing to talk about Jesus while you're having chicken wings turns into lost people destined for destruction, crossing from death to life, and finding a God who knows them and loves them and arranges crazy coincidences for them to say, wait a sec, maybe, maybe he loves me. And maybe I can have what you guys have. What will happen when lost people are found in your community? I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. Don't get distracted, but I want you to stand... And I want you just to close your eyes all over this room. Not to get into a religious posture, but I want you right now to be open to God painting a picture on your imagination. This is the first mark of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Of the Joel 2, Acts 2, God says when He pours out His Spirit, young men and women will get visions. That means God will, God will start to paint pictures upon your imagination. What if we stop just talking about lost people and the unsaved and church growth? And what if we stop just talking about expanding and programming, all that cool stuff? What if we put a face and a name on it? What if right now with your eyes closed all over this room, you just took a moment and you asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, Send, send laborers into your harvest field. What if you looked at that harvest field not as just some generic picture of wheat, but what if there were faces and names of people? What if there were faces and names of people that without an encounter with Jesus, they're destined for a destruction and, and you know them right now? Father, I pray all over this room that you would, in this moment, I ask that you would release.